A good conversation can shift the direction of change forever. Would you leave it to chance? Join the authors of Design to Change and explore this series of conversations with designers and event owners. Driven by the need and conversations with event owners and event designers who use the event canvas around the world, this series explores the depths of conversations to elevate your abilities to look and act beyond the now. Episodes are hosted by Rude Janssen, Rue Friesen, Dennis Lehrer, and Paul Rukens, with illustrious changemakers, designers, and pioneers in the field of design and beyond. To explore these conversations and additional content, visit designtochange.online. For now, let's start the conversation. Conversations. All right, welcome back to the uh, Design to Change podcast. Uh, we have with us today Judith Marie Sonek. And this time we're meeting online, Judith. Yeah, welcome. thank you. It's great to be here and great to see you again, even though unfortunately this time we can't see each other in person. <laughs> yeah, so the last time we met was at uh, IMAX in Frankfurt in 2022, um, back in May, I think it was. Um, you've been doing a lot of traveling. Um, we are now in different parts of the world. I'm in Montreal. You're uh, in between trips from Indonesia and Kenya. Where are you today? Where are you dialing in from? Uh, I'm joining today from Cologne, Germany, um, but also uh, just after attending uh, the climate talks in, in Bonn that are going on at, at the moment, the Substar 58. So okay. uh, already attended an event today as well. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a multi-event uh, uh, day today. Um, thank you for joining us. Um, I mean, you are traveling um a lot looking after the global landscapes forum it's uh, something we spoke about last year at imex um an event if i'm not mistaken last year you said there was about 12 years of events that have kind of led to the event series that you're currently um involved with uh, tell us a little bit about your most recent event and the next one you're going to so, so, so people have a picture of your landscape <laughs> Sure. Uh, yeah, so actually this year uh, we are celebrating 10 years of the Global Landscapes Forum of the GLF. Um, mm -hmm. So there's going to be some special activities planned for that as well. Um, mm -hmm. But you're right that uh, kind of the what led to the Global Landscapes Forum actually started a little bit before. But um, yeah, uh, that we're really existing as such that is now a 10 years anniversary. Um, and to answer your questions about uh, the recent events and the upcoming ones, um, so we had uh, two big conferences in the last months. Uh, one of them um, was the event we were also talking about last year in the podcast already, which was the big GLF climate conference um, at the COP27 in Egypt in Sharm el-Sheikh. Mm -hmm. um, that was a, a big hybrid event uh, of two days with um, speakers and participants joining from all over the world, mm -hmm. both in person and online. Um, and then we also, uh, on 7th of March, um, we had the uh, GLF sixth investment case in collaboration with uh, Luxembourg for Finance. Um, so that's uh, the Luxembourg government uh, and many other partners um, in Luxembourg, but also uh, from many other parts of the world. And that was uh, as well a hybrid conference um, held uh, at the European Convention Center in, uh, in Luxembourg. Mm -hmm. um, and that was also, again, an event where we had a couple of hundreds people uh, of people joining online, uh, no, in person, and then thousands mm -hmm. again joining uh, online. Um, mm -hmm. 
and gathering uh, yeah, the most important voices and actors um, in the sector of sustainable, sustainable finance. Uh, and now this year, um, what we're looking at, which will be our biggest event um, and a very exciting one, uh, it will take place on the 11th and 12th of October in Nairobi, the mm -hmm. GLF Nairobi. And mm -hmm. that one actually uh, also will be two days. Uh, and the first day will be focusing on African sovereign solutions. And mm -hmm. the second day will be about the climate survival guide for a planet in crisis. Um, so the first day really will have more an African focus and the second day uh, more the global one, which uh, we usually have under our GLF climate conference, basically. And what is very exciting about that event is that it will actually take place at the C4 ECRAF headquarters in Nairobi. So it will be our own facilities and uh, those facilities are also next to a really nice forest uh, in which we are also planning some activities. So mm -hmm. uh, it will be really nice to be able to to yeah, use our own offices there and collaborate also with the scientists on the ground and um, many partners that we already have in Kenya as well. Fantastic. So um, it sounds like there's never a dull moment in your professional life as you're crisscrossing um, all these different stakeholder groups in different regions of the world. Uh, you also just told me about something that you were doing, the theory of change workshops. Is that something that's... Um, uh, that really triggered something in my head. Uh, can you share a little bit more about that, or is that uh, top secret? Or <laughs> no, of course, I'm happy to share a little bit about it. So, um, I mean, as you know, we are not only an organization that uh, does events, but um, we are an international platform for sustainable land use. So we have different areas in which we work, um, for example, in sustainable finance, uh, we work a lot together with youth, we work together with local communities and action on the ground. Um, we have our learning academy uh, and the sustainable fine, uh, sorry, I already mentioned that the digital knowledge commons, um, mm -hmm. which is really about making knowledge accessible through the digital world. Um, and so all of these different innovations, as we call them, come together in our events. Um, and so at the theory of change workshop, uh, it's really what we do is really about like, where do we want to go with our organization? What is our vision and how do we achieve that with our different uh, teams and areas in which we work, um, of which one are the events basically, or um, yeah, at the events, let's say everything there comes together. <laughs> so it really sounds like the events, you know, because you're, you're mentioning all these different areas of focus for um, for the platform where you know sustainable finance digital knowledge commons uh, the youth this um this whole idea that events are the are the points where these things come together makes it highly interesting i think for the listeners to the design to change podcast right because um it sounds like um the hybrid form of events that you have um going on now in 2023 are kind of the way that you're running the events um, by default. Am I saying that correctly or is that a, a false assumption? We do have some purely digital events as well, mm -hmm. um, but there's barely any events anymore that we do only in person. And if so, then it's more small events like workshops and so on. But um, conferences, for example, we don't run them in person alone anymore because uh, it's just like you can reach so many people and it's so much more inclusive if yeah. you make it accessible online and actually 
create an agenda that suits uh, the online part participants, um, which doesn't mean that at a hybrid conference, we don't also have activities that are only happening in person. Mm -hmm. Which which is interesting because it, it gives you this dilemma of, you know, you were saying that before is who are the actors, who are the voices in sustainable finance or in any of the topics that you're addressing? And how do you give voice? How do you amplify the voice? How do you converse with the different actors, right? That's, uh, um, it's, it must be quite challenging to try and program that in a both live and an online setting simultaneously. How do you, yeah. what, what are some of the current challenges you're running into? And are you seeing, are, are people getting more used to this? Is it becoming better? Is it becoming more difficult? But what are you seeing? I mean, the challenges you mentioned, they are definitely there, um, especially because we are working with a lot of people who are not necessarily that familiar with technology or who are living in, um, in remote areas where they don't really have a, a good internet access or where it's unpredictable whether their internet access will be good or not during the event. Mm -hmm. And so I think in terms of programming, um, yeah, uh, the sessions and the plenaries and so on, you really uh, have to have a plan B. Um, so what we do usually is uh, if we have speakers joining from remote areas, um, sometimes we ask them to pre-record the intervention uh, in the same clothes <laughs> as they are wearing at the day of the event, for example. Mm -hmm. So yeah. that's really, um, you so know, just so that <laughs> so that in case they drop out or they mm -hmm. drop in and out, it's like it doesn't look too weird. And it's still like it still gives a nice impression. It's not because we want to hide that it's then pre-recorded or so, but it's really yeah. it's just a plan B to then make a smooth transition between those uh, kind of things yeah. um, that can happen very easily. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think the other thing is a good preparation, like really have speakers briefings before, go through go through the rundown of the session, of the plenary, et cetera, make sure that everybody really knows when to be where because at an event where you are in person, you can still like look after the person, run after the person. But if someone's just not in the Zoom and doesn't answer the phone, well, try to reach them. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I think it's always good to have that backup option uh, there. And um, then, of course, at the same time, you also need to keep in mind that it has to be, uh, in, especially for the hybrid sessions and plenaries, it has to be attractive for both the in-person and the online audience. So, for mm -hmm. example, if you do Q&As, uh, do you want to combine questions from online or in-person or do you want to only focus on the ones in person or do you only take the ones from the chat or do you ask the in-person participants to also join online and put their questions in the chat there? So I think there's a lot of different um, yeah, setups. Trying it out is always the best, I think. So I think we are also from each event, there are like um, small things where we're like, okay, maybe we'll change this in the setup. And then of course, the other big challenge that is always there is the translation. Um, and finding the right platform to to hold your event at. So because, yeah, if you have such a diverse event with so many different people joining from so many different places, um, also having so much like different skills in, in terms of how they can participate. Um, yeah, I think it's always, yeah, you have to look at who do you really want to reach and then program uh, everything accordingly. Yeah. It's, it's, it sounds challenging and, and considering the size of not just your event, but also your event is almost, again, if you look at it in a series, 
uh, you were mentioning leading up to, you know, it's 49 days before COP28 in Dubai, uh, where your forum again, you know, has, um, and I like that title of day two, the Climate Survival Guide for a Planet in Crisis. I'll make sure to add the links uh, to uh, to the notes on our podcast because it's it's this is very on topic. It's very critical kind of subjects that are all lining up for again a bigger event that then uh, assembles even more actors and even more stakeholders. How I'm wondering how how far can you cluster the efforts, right? Because I mean. COP28, how many people go to COP28? Any idea? What are the expectations? So I read somewhere that they are actually expecting 70,000 people this year, which would be really crazy because that's way bigger than any COP I've ever been to, I think. Um, sure. But uh, I'm not sure if that will really happen that way because I just can't imagine how they are going to coordinate 70,000 people at a COP which is always already a big mess. So um, mm -hmm. yeah, uh, it's always beautiful uh, to meet so many people, but it's also, of course, a big challenge to really coordinate for everyone to have food, to have water, to have all those kind of things. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious how it's gonna be, yeah. Yeah, and it's almost like the the road you're paving. I mean, you're paving the road to Nairobi for this specific event, held at your property, at your venue uh, in, in in Nairobi. Um, do you find that hosting it in your own venue, does that um, does that pose additional challenges or does it make it easier for you to kind of design events in your own venue or how, how is that for you? Um, I would say it has both advantages and disadvantages, but I would say it has more advantages in this case, at least, um, mm. simply because we already have a team there. We always have people on the ground who can help us coordinate. Um, yeah. Also, even with equipment and so on, it's like easier to say, hey, we can buy certain equipments because we can actually use them afterwards and so on. So for us, that's really nice. Yeah. Um, and also because we have a lot of good relationships in in uh, in Nairobi, in Kenya in general. Um, mm. And also, uh, yeah, holding an event um, in Africa uh, is is very, yeah, it's very nice to, to be able to do that again now after um, the pandemic for the first time. Uh, so that's all great things. But on the other hand, I would say what is more the challenge is that um, our office is not really made for big conferences. So we don't have a huge conference hall there. It's not like a professional big conference venue. So we have to uh, work a lot on really making sure that we have all the equipment there that we need, that there's enough space for the people, that we have a program that can accommodate everyone, even though not everybody fits in the big plenary hall and all those kind of mm -hmm. things. So um, yeah, this also comes with a couple of challenges, of course, but again, it makes it easier to have people on the ground there. Yeah, yeah it's interesting how, let's say once you get really familiar with the hybrid model and its limitations or its challenges, um, for you, this has become the way of doing business when it comes to your events, um, from what I hear. Um, and I think it's it's also a skill set, right? That you, as you indicate, for your own team, but also for the team that might do the technological part to deal with the limitations of whatever the all the participants and speakers are facing. Um, it sounds like we're making progress in how we are uh, able to design and deliver hybrid events. 
uh, although many people, you know, if I look back at IMAX this year, um, which happened just a couple of weeks back, we spoke to 17 different people. Um, the, the grand majority of people there have really, um, and maybe this is because they are all in the events industry, they are all massive advocates for the face-to-face -face part where hybrid and online really have lost, um, let me call it popularity just for the sake of argument, right? Yeah. Um, because people have been over flooded by the offering of online events during the pandemic period and uh, the saturation of their ability to consume more of them or to be effective in them has kind of hit a roadblock for many, for many people. Um, yeah. How do you do, do you see that same thing? Or is that a bias that people in the events industry might need to get over? Or how do you how do you see that? So I think it really depends. I mean, if you do an event in the event and even if you do an event in the event industry, then I think it's a different thing as well. But if you look at our sector, at the environmental sector, first of all, a big problem uh, are the emissions that events cause to which you have to travel. Absolutely. And we are trying to fight that. So it's kind of absurd to then expect thousands of people to come together for an in-person event. Um, yeah. And at the same time, talking about wanting to reduce the emissions, right? Yeah. Uh, the other point is that a lot of people who we work with just can't afford to fly around the world for events. Yeah. And so for those people, it is like super important that they can still be part of the conversation, that they still get to 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 ask their questions, to to be a speaker at those events without having to be funded by a big organization or to, you know, have to put in all their savings to be able to mm. travel to such an event. And mm. so I think for our industry, for our GLF community, for the people we want to reach, it's really important that we are accessible without people having to travel around. Nevertheless, mm. I mean, in general, I think there's no single person in the world who wouldn't agree that face-to-face -face meetings are more enjoyable than online uh, uh, events. I think mm. that's nothing that needs to be discussed. And uh, of course, mm. it's, it's so nice. And there's a different vibe if you meet people in, in person and yeah. um, much more space for, for being spontaneous, for having spontaneous meetings and encounters because you suddenly listen to the conversation at table next to you and you hear some keywords and you're like, oh, I want to talk to that person too. That just doesn't happen in, uh, in the digital space. Yeah. Um, but a little bit like maybe to talk about like personally, what would be my vision on how events take place in the future mm -hmm. is uh, maybe a little bit more um, having different hubs at the same time, at same place, uh, at, the, uh, at different places. So that basically you say, okay, uh, on 15th of July, we have uh, an event uh, on the Climate Survival Guide for a Planet in Crisis, for example. And mm -hmm. then it doesn't only take place in one location, but you maybe have like one main location where the main team sits, but then you have partners all over the world organizing little uh, uh, yeah, events on their own, where maybe you have some plenaries that are streamed. Mm -hmm. uh, where everybody can can join and where you have like from the different hubs, maybe even bringing people in there as well. Mm -hmm. um, but then also have like uh, a little bit individual programs all over those places that are also, you know, adapted to the 
to the local uh, conditions and and topics and so on. And I think uh, that could be really a nice thing for the for the future. <laughs> yeah, and I think that this is this is really is really important, right? The capacity of the actors and the stakeholders to converse in these different ways, right? Maybe to have more geographically dispersed events that are interconnected. It almost seems like they are weaving a web of activity that leads to um, that leads to a change movement, right? You you rightfully, um, you know, I was just looking at the at the at both the concept notes, but also at the the day one event that you're having in Nairobi, where you know the African sovereign solutions. I saw a beautiful quote there. I just wanted to read it out real quick, uh, which says, there is a narrative that we can start changing, right? Africa is not a country, it's a continent. Africa is not defined by poverty. Africa is rich. Africa is full of stories. Africa is full of diversity. It's full of young hearts. It's full of culture. It's full of innovation. It's full of new ideas, right? So, so you have the idea that the narrative of change, right? Combined with um, the statement by the executive secretary of the United Nations to combat desertification. He says, change is homemade, it's not imported. <laughs> it is the time to reset, to rethink Africa's development, to turn challenges into opportunities. So the, the perspective that you're offering or that you're addressing in this new vision for Earth, right? In a hybrid conference, in a road, you know, to the GLF in Nairobi, but also to what's happening next at the COP conferences. Um, these are all like iterations of change and perspectives that gel together in a certain way in order to create a much bigger chunk of change that is impossible to change even if you wanted to, right? Even if you would bring 150,000 people together at a COP conference or 500,000 people together at a COP conference. You could not have that unit of change just forced onto people. There's a gradual kind of movement that you guys are um, working on across many different geographies, which yeah, I find absolutely. very impressive. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, I'm very glad that you mentioned that because um, that was actually another thing that we were discussing at the Theory of Change workshop, for example. Mm. Um, that in the end, what we want is that everyone who participates in a GLF event actually becomes a steward of their landscape so that they actually come to the events to learn, to share their experiences, um, and then really be inspired to take action and to actually do that wherever they are in whatever capacity they can do it. Yeah. Um, so I'm very glad that you mentioned that point, um, because that's really important to us to really have that impact on people when they when they join us, no matter whether that's online or through some of our programs or through the events. And I think the fact that you articulate so clearly, you know, become a steward of your own landscape or of their own landscape as a desired exit behavior is a very clear kind of marker, right? It's like it's a very clear overarching aim that anybody can relate to each at their own level of abstract thinking of or acting. Um, but I like, I like its concreteness because if you have that concreteness in the narrative, you can design for the small increments of change within that narrative for each respective event to contribute to the bigger thing, right? Um, how, how do you guys go about, I'm just curious, how do you guys go about creating the programming for something like 
you're currently doing in Nairobi, right? And this might be a difficult question. The more <laughs> it must be like an abstract system, but I mean, you have you come out with two days of programming, right? One is around African sovereign solutions. The other one is the climate survival guide of a world in crisis, right? Two very of a planet in crisis and not a world. Uh, I think maybe the planet and the world are in crisis, but. Um, how do you come to these concept notes and how do they flip into conference programming? How does that work? I knew that that question would come. <laughs> and yeah, it is indeed, it is indeed uh, not always an easy process because as I've explained, we have like so many different teams working on different things. And in the end, all of them are important for the events. Um, and so what we usually do is we work with, uh, we have like uh, one or two um main writers, which are scientists, to create those concept notes. Um, mm -hmm. But that always already takes quite a long time because, of course, all the team then uh, gives input and uh, we make sure that all the different innovations are integrated. Um, and uh, yeah, and then usually there's still a lot of changes and quite some back and forth until it's uh, really um, yeah, agreed on and published. And um, based on that, I mean, there's usually, you know, some some uh, parameters that you already know, like for example, the location and so on, um, and how many people you want to have there, if it's gonna be hybrid, like all those kind of things. Uh, in addition to that, we also usually have, um, even before we start creating the program, some partners where we already know that they will come in for the event. Um, so that sometimes they also have some specific requests that we can then already put into that um, yeah, skeleton basically. Um, and then it is really about uh, seeing how can we accommodate how many sessions and plenaries without having to have like without overrunning people with the program. So yeah. we've kind of also agreed now to and that's kind of new, I think, in, in uh, Luxembourg this year. That was the first time that we only had two parallel sessions running mm -hmm. um, because we realized that three or even sometimes four just is a lot and also to handle for the teams because it's. Yeah. It just goes really wild when it's hybrid. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it goes wild when it's hybrid. Yeah. Yeah. No. Really. Be a good quote not... for this for this conversation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like that. <laughs> but it's yeah, but it really does, right? Yeah, like truth. this matrix of activity. There's so much going on in layers, and you got to manage. You got to keep the streams going, right? Yeah, exactly. And it's like the digital side, the in-person side, then the hybrid connection, um, making sure that everyone can hear, hear it clearly from all sides and so on. So you really always need an army of people to, to, to run a hybrid session. Um, yeah. And so, uh, but also for the participants, it's, uh, I think, a nice way to rather than create other activities that are networking activities that are, mm -hmm. um, yeah, as I said, like we even will organize some networking sessions in the forest and so on for the GLF Nairobi conference to really kind of make it an enjoyable experience that people remember um, that touches their emotions so that that can really change their mindsets. And as we were speaking before, that inspires action. Yeah. Um yeah. And at, at the end of the day, it's the action that creates the value, right? Um, exactly, exactly. Yeah. But yeah, to, to get back to your question on like how we organize that as a team, it then it, for the process is really a lot of, uh, yeah, you have to go back and forth because you speak to all the other team members to see what they want to see integrated from their teams, from their work into the conference and what ideas are there. And then it's always like, of course, also a, a team brainstorming at the beginning where, the, where we then kind of 
keep filtering all the ideas uh, until we have that program set with which mm. everyone is happy and which we, uh, with which we can also um, make the revenue we need. Uh, so it is a lot of, uh, yeah, puzzling, I would say. <laughs> yeah. You really How... have to create a puzzle. <laughs> Yeah, and I and I appreciate the the puzzle doesn't become easier considering you are a, a multi stakeholder organization, right? It's it's a exactly. it's a complex uh, thirty three charter members, you know, including and I'm just reading it real quick, like sustainable development organization, like the World Bank, World Wildlife Fund, World Resource Institution, Rainport Alliance, but then you also have maybe corporate sponsors or partners that support the work that's going on um there must be all sorts of let's say push and pull between these different stakeholders that have a stake in the glf um has that become more complex over time or is it is it easier as you're doing this for a longer amount of time uh, in terms of getting people on board balancing the stakes etc how did how, how how is that developing do you feel Mm, I think, I mean, at the beginning when the pandemic started and we started really having those digital conferences, mm -hmm. uh, I think it was really something that was very challenging to make sure that, you know, all because for the digital sessions, you need such more uh, or hybrid sessions, you need such more detailed rundowns and so on, because you can't just sit next to the tech guys and be like, OK, next slide or OK, mm -hmm. now please play this video. So if you can't communicate with them directly it needs to be super well prepared yeah, yeah um and do you find dealing with like corporate sponsors versus ngos or governmental organizations is it different in dealing with their stake or are they kind of similar in how you have to approach them I would say that, like, I mean, all the all the uh, organizations joining, it's always different to work with each of them. But that I would say it depends more on the specific contact persons than on the organization itself. Yeah. So, you know, I think that's really there's there's always people who are easy to work with and then people who are not that easy to work with. But that can be in the private sector, in NGOs or, uh, yeah, with anyone, basically. Um, so I think that doesn't really matter so much. Uh, and then also, I would say, um, since we're really, when it comes to the private sector, uh, only working with um, companies that have an agenda that we as the GLF uh, uh, can support, um, or at least like bring into the conversation and so on. So mm. I think there's also not that much um, the danger is if we, for example, suddenly had Coca-Cola as the main sponsor, but that then want local communities to present their restoration projects. I mean, that would really be a conflict, but um, mm. we do have our policies there and, uh, of course, check the partners first um, that we are working with. Yeah, yeah. I think it's, um, I think you you are literally in the sweet spot of what events can do and should do right i think that's that's really uh, interesting to hear uh, firsthand from your experiences it sounds like you're in the midst of that spider web um uh, you're in the midst of multiple geographies multiple formats multiple stakeholder types doing um working on a huge mission with a uh, limited set of resources as always right so i think you're um your examples are are very illustrative. We're gonna 
um, include some of the links to this. If people would right. like to become a steward of their own landscape without necessarily being in your sector, can they participate in your events? How does that work? Or is it yes. only insiders or is it? No, absolutely. Our events are definitely interesting for, for really also people who are not familiar with the, with the environmental sector, with climate change, with biodiversity, etc. Because uh, we really try to always um, create events that have holistic approaches so that it's not only technical discussions about value chains or something like that, but that mm -hmm. we really always bring in the voices from the field, from the people who actually work on the ground, who are yeah. affected, um, uh, lots of activists and artists that we usually bring in as well, because we really, we want exactly that. We want to to reach the non-converted as well, right? We don't always want to repeat the same stories with the same people, um, yeah. but we really want to bring in uh, people who are just interested. And I think the GLF is a great starting point for exactly those people, because we have such a broad network of, of, of people, of communities, of activities that we can offer. We even have on our, um, on our Landscape Academy, we even have um, a restoration leadership e-course that you can participate in for free. So, mm -hmm. and that is really for people who want to, to um, yeah, get some insights and, and learn. Uh, and there is learning material, knowledge product for all levels of, of, of knowledge, basically, in that sector. Awesome. So if you could do one call out to, um, let's pretend there's 25,000 event designers that at some point have touched to what we do with the event design using the event canvas methodology. Of course, not all of them are listening to this podcast, but you know, thousands are listening to this podcast. What would be your call for action? What could they do? you know, before they end listening to this podcast, what could they do to help you in what you do? Um, uh, for example, there's a lot of petitions out there uh, that you can support. So, for example, if, if there's like a, a topic that is dear to your heart, if, for example, if you care about the oceans, really just Google petitions for clean oceans and you'll find a million of them and mm -hmm. supporting those kind of initiatives, for example, something that really everyone can do from their computers um, yeah. But it still, you know, supports uh, good causes. And um, of course, there's also a lot of uh, great projects that you can donate to. Um, uh, if you want some contacts for that, we'll be happy to put you in touch with those organizations. Mm -hmm. um, but but beyond that, I think what, what where it starts is, is that you look at your own life, both in your personal as in your professional life, and look at where you can directly actually take action. If that's things like, driving uh, less with a car and taking more the public uh, transport and the bike, which are like those standard uh, examples. But also, for example, if you work in the event industry, try to have more vegetarian caterings, work together with catering services that work with, uh, with local uh, pr producers and uh, uh, local products and so on. So there's a lot of mm -hmm. things that especially in the event sector can be done. I think there's also, it is becoming more and more mainstream anyway. But then there's also a lot of greenwashing in the event industry when it comes um, to sustainability. And so mm -hmm. that's another thing that everyone working in the event industry can do just to make sure that you really check the labels, that you really check uh, what is behind um, yeah, uh, claims for sustainability, basically. 
so yeah. that you make sure that the partners you're working with, if you care for them to be sustainable, really are sustainable and not just hiding behind a bought green label or so. Yeah. 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 Excellent. I think those are some concrete things that people could get connected to. Um, if they would like to join your hybrid conference, is that an option? Uh, could could they peek into it in the one that's coming in uh, in October? Yes, absolutely. So if you will add the link uh, to the conference um, uh, to the description of this podcast, um, there's a link for the registration as well. And the online mm. participation is completely for free. Uh, mm -hmm. And if you want to attend in person, there is also uh, some tickets available uh, available for you to buy. Awesome. Um, if I click the registration, it says event begins in 119 days and 20 hours. It doesn't seem to make Judith uh, any bit more nervous than uh, she is today. Uh, uh, with a big smile, uh, we, we are concluding this, uh, this conversation that started last year at IMAX in, uh, in Frankfurt. Um, Sometimes I reach out for an additional year plus two conversation, uh, Judith. <laughs> we don't do that with all of our guests, but I really like the work that you're doing. And I'm really keen to hear how, um, you know, the preps for COP28 are going, but also maybe look back at, you know, what does happen after this sequence and next year's sequence. Um, may we call on you again in June 2024 and look back at the year that has passed and look forward at 2025. Would that be okay with you? Yes, of course. Um, uh, yeah, really, thank you for, for having me again. It was a great conversation and uh, really looking forward to then latest seeing you next year. Who knows if maybe our, our path has crossed before at some yeah, event cool. of the event industry. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thanks again so much for joining us today. Um, good luck and safe travels uh, this coming Sunday to, uh, to back to Kenya, to Nairobi. Um, and for the preparations for the new vision for Earth for the GLF Nairobi conference in October. Um, we're going to be on the lookout what you are working on. Um, it's very exciting to see uh, all of these different activities happening. And uh, we'll speak again at least next year, but maybe before. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, bye. Bye-bye. You've been hanging out backstage on Design to Change Designer Conversations. Thank you for tuning in and don't forget to subscribe and share conversations online using hashtag design to change and hashtag event canvas. Want more thought provoking content like this? Visit design to change.online to purchase your copy of design to change, elevating your abilities to look and act beyond the now. Don't forget it's more than just a book. Experience a hard copy, audio format, video format, and even augmented reality. Experience it in your style and format. Tune into our next episodes and hear from more designers and change makers. Until then, we look forward to our next conversation. <laughs>